0: Welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com. Movie Movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley, and I'm super excited for this week's show because me and JB are at Disney. So we're talking about The Haunted Mansion from 2003.
1: And I'm speaking in my earlier corruptible form. Very nice. Very
0: nice. Uh, We are recording this in advance of our trip. We're not actually recording this... From Disney, I didn't feel like bringing all the equipment to Orlando.
1: And what he just said isn't quite the truth. You'll never really know when we're at Disney, because in theory, if this drops when we're at Disney, which it will not, someone could rob our houses oh. because you're identifying <laughs> when that is. So that's a secret, and on the Wednesday this drops, I'm home with a shotgun, and Patrick is home with Ninja Throwing Stars. That's true. So don't try any shit.
0: <laughs> uh, we are going to talk about the film version of the famous Disney ride, The Haunted Mansion, again. From and we use film version loosely. They made a movie of it. They uh, did. You know, we'll talk about it. Uh, but before we get into that, Jay Bones, have you seen anything good lately? Well,
1: I'll tell you. The early word had me sort of dreading Black Widow, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed pretty much any other Marvel movie. I thought it was well done. I liked the sort of proto-feminist thing of if we get rid of this one guy, maybe women wouldn't fight each other. And his line, unwanted girls is the only resource we have too much of. I thought that was well done. You thought that was heavy-handed? I mean, maybe. A little bit. (laughs) Um, I thought David Harbour was terrific as the father and um, the former Red Guardian. And I wondered, you and Mike and Adam know a lot more about comic books than I do. Is there a real comic book hero called the Crimson Dynamo? Crimson Dynamo. Um, I don't think there is. Here's why I bring
0: it up. Wasn't that Brain Wilson's name and Super? What was his name in Super? Oh no, he was um, Crimson Bolt. The Crimson Bolt and yeah. Bolty, his sidekick. <laughs> right.
1: Um, at one point, uh, Florence Pugh making fun of her right, father. Right. Miss Miss says his it's an superhero old cereal, name isn't it? Oh, like. Like a, a, a movie broken up into parts. Isn't the I thought Crimson you Dynamo? meant breakfast food. No, no. I'm eating a big brimming bowl of Crimson Dynamo. Isn't that an old cereal? Turns the milk blood red. <laughs> the reason I bring this up, and this is the height of trivia, he's Red Guardian. To Uts, her father, she deliberately gets it wrong and says Crimson Dynamo. Paul McCartney has a song. It was originally on the Venus and Mars album called Magneto and Titanium Man. And it's all about superheroes. It's all about comic book superheroes. It's a great song. It's on his famous Wings Over America live album. I think in that song he made up all the superheroes. And I wondered if Crimson Dynamo was a shout-out to the Paul McCartney song. For those of you listening
0: who are frustrated by our lack of knowledge, there was indeed a real Crimson Dynamo
1: in Marvel Comics. Was there a Titanium Man? Uh, sure. Because I've always assumed that Magneto was the X-Men character.
0: There is a Titanium Man.
1: Okay, so Paul McCartney didn't just make up superheroes. No. Nope. I remember at the time he admitted to enjoying comic books, and this song was sort of the shout-out. So maybe Black Widow is not shouting out to a Paul McCartney song. Uh, Black Widow is shouting out to a fairly obscure comic book yeah. character yeah. named the Crimson Dynamo. Yeah. But I enjoyed Black Widow uh, for what it was. It. It seemed odd that uh, that was supposed to come out a really long time ago. And uh, Scarlett Johansson's doing all this press where at at one point the 800-pound gorilla in the room is, wasn't this movie supposed to come out two years ago? And then they discuss that for a while. Well, like like we
0: don't know the reason why it didn't come out. I mean, what's the point in addressing that when it's like no
1: movies came out last year, including Black Widow? And that was fine. I enjoyed it. That was my first time back in the theater Besides our little music box oh, okay. trip, um, in a really really long time. So did you go to the IMAX one? Yeah, because you can spread out more. Driving there, um, going to the theater, interacting with people, right? Popcorn, the Coke Freestyle machine. It had been a long time, and then um, I found out that uh, against my knowledge, they had reactivated my Stubbs membership. They sent
0: an email saying we're going to be doing this. I think there was
1: an email. But did they do you know when they reactivated it? Just recently, like the first week of July or something. Okay, because I wasn't sure. So I sort of said, let's see if this is covered. And it was, which made me happy. Because wouldn't you agree, the the stubs that we pay for, if you go to the movies a lot, it's the best deal. Yeah, it just is a matter of
0: going to the movies a lot now, which is a challenge for you. I think in general, there's not a lot of stuff out. It's not if you're worried about feeling safe. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why I may not be going to two movies a week.
1: That's true. (laughs) I was starting to get excited. You should be excited. I don't mean to dampen your excitement. And then I saw Summer of Soul. Okay. Which I think would have benefited from a theatrical venue more because of the sound it would have benefited from a better sound system than i have though i have a pretty good sound system um like most movies these days i thought it was a tad long but i think that's an effect of watching it at home i think i would think that less if i was in a movie theater and my attention was on the screen okay. and i wasn't at home very aware of the time going by but as most of you know Uh, There was this amazing concert in the late 60s in Harlem, and it was videotaped for later broadcast, and it was later never broadcast, and then it was put away and forgotten. And Questlove of the Roots uh, put together this amazing film. It's a really, really well-done documentary. It isn't just they handed him the footage and, and he's collating it or something. The film makes a series of points. Um, I'm a big fan of Mavis Staples, Uh, You and Your Lovely Wife. One of the best birthday presents I ever got was tickets to see Mavis Staples at the Skokie Performing Arts Center. And that's like in the top five concerts I've ever seen in my life. And Mavis is in it both in the uh, historical footage that they put together, but also um, Questlove uses the device of having spectators who were there. It was actually a series of concerts over a series of weekends in the summer. So when you cut it together, it's like, oh my God, this is the most right. incredible Bill. Right. And each, each concert was themed. There was a, a gospel evening and then there was a, a rhythm and blues evening. Anyway, he not only has performers watching their performances, uh, Billy McCo and Billy Davis and Marilyn McCoo of The Fifth Dimension are shown watching themselves on the screen 50 years later. And that was a really great decision. Um, And Mavis... And also, he found spectators who are still alive who can be identified in the footage, and they watch themselves... Watching. It's... It's like that segment from
0: the Bo Burnham special where he's doing the commentary. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) Only not as weird and existential and creepy. Um, A while back on PBS, there was a documentary on Woodstock and they took the interesting tactic of only having voiceover of the people who were there who are still alive. And I think I understand why the filmmaker made that decision. But every time I watch w- uh, Woodstock and I saw it once at Ebert Fest, the way it should be seen on a big screen with the director doing this amazing Q and a afterwards. Um, I wonder how many of those people are still alive yeah. and, how they're doing, and how they feel about it. And I felt that that documentary kept me at a remove because it wouldn't show me right. them. Right. Um, and Questlove doesn't make that mistake. Summer of Soul is worth seeing, if only for the music. Yeah. But it gets into some other areas that are very important. During one of the concerts, Man Landed on the Moon. During the con, Like during the yes. concert? Oh, wow. And... Many people in the crowd are asked about this historic event, okay. and their answers are good. It's a highlight of the film. And then finally, what was the third one? Uh, in the Heights. I saw In the Heights, which yeah. I had been looking forward to because I had seen it live at a certain high school. Really? Yeah, oh, I years didn't know that. ago, because the person who did the show's Love Lynn manuel Miranda, and there's no way he's getting the high school rights to Hamilton, so this is the second best thing. And not to point a finger, the person in charge didn't think high school students could sit still for the whole thing, so they cut it. It was the Vegas version <laughs> of In the Heights, I guess, and so... It didn't make a lot of sense. Okay. So just like the shorter version of hairstyle, I sa- uh, hairspray I sat through, when I saw the, the new movie that just came out, it suddenly made sense because the whole thing was there, including all the plot and all the songs. Um, I can just imagine what that was like when it was live on stage. Um, I feel like I would
0: have, like you said, with Summer of Soul, that you would have maybe liked it even more in a theater versus at home. I feel like I would like In the Heights more as a live production. yeah, Because
1: I didn't love it as a movie. And I would have liked it better with Lin-Manuel Miranda playing Husnave <laughs> because he's a very charismatic, talented performer. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. But again, because I'm watching it home, I thought it was a little long. Yeah. Um but what was it a couple weeks ago? Oh, um we were talking about the Sparks documentary, which is fine. Yeah. But I had made <laughs> I had made the comment that I <laughs> thought it was a half an hour too long, to which you responded more like an hour too long. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. And apologies to Edgar Wright, and there was a time when I listened to Sparks, but I almost wish the two gentlemen in Sparks wouldn't have been such gentlemen and had allowed Edgar Wright to get into all the bands that just stole from them, that there were bands that got really famous, sort of aping sparks and sparks becomes the band that influenced everyone, but never got as big as those bands. Um, I forget what summer it was, but the song they did with Jane Whedland, that's a, that's a toe tapping tune. I like that song. Cool places. Um, so that's what I've seen lately. Okay.
0: Um, I saw the new Netflix movie, Gunpowder
1: Milkshake. Oh, yes. Uh, Mondo uh, is about to sell a poster of that uh, tomorrow or the next day. Okay. Well, good for them. There is a charming woman on the Twitter machine named Dahlia Hanyarusa. I apologize in advance for mispronouncing her name. She lives in Canada. She owns a coffee shop. She watches a lot of movies, and she went on and on about Gunpowder Milkshake and how disappointing she thought it was. It's
0: a Frankenstein's monster of other better movies, from the way it looks to the... Sort of John Wickian setup of this underground society of hitmen and assassins, and you're not allowed to bring guns into the diner because this is a place where people can meet and talk without fear of killing each other. And there's a moment that blatantly rips off Face Off where they put headphones on a kid so that the kid won't hear the gunfire while we play the pop song over the soundtrack. <laughs> I, everything about it. And it wastes. A pretty amazing cast that includes Karen Gillan and Carla Gugino and Angela Bassett and oh, wow. Michelle Yeoh and Paul Giamatti.
1: Oh, I didn't I didn't, I didn't know Hattie. the cast at
0: all. It's a great cast. Wow, and they're more or less wasted. It's
1: the Gene Siskel thing. I'd rather watch a movie of them having lunch. You know, you bring up world building. Uh, my son, who I love, uh, <laughs> has been reading scripts. For the last make sure you say that years,
0: he's about to tear him a new one.
1: For wait, <laughs> who's gonna wait? Who's gonna? Tear you had to
0: make sure that you let everyone know that you love your son because you're about to tear into him. No, that's the last.
1: I that, know no. it's not I, what you're about to I do. Have for the boy. <laughs> um, Good. For the last couple years, he has been reading scripts that are in competition at let's just call it a major U.S. film festival. And for the last two or three years, what particularly drives him crazy is the cumbersome world building that these um, script writers uh, engage in. And he's suggesting that anyone, anywhere, who ever wants to write a script should be forced to take a class called World Building 101, where people who do it cleverly or uh, sort of subtly teach you what they know about world building because lately that's his gripe. Is the
0: world building that he's encountering, is it for the purposes of a single movie or is this because people are trying to
1: build out franchises and sequels? I think it's for both. Okay. But he has talked about there being a preponderance of movies that set up the different groups that are against each other. And how silly that is sometimes, because one night we were joking around texting each other and we were making up absurd groups for these often post-apocalyptic oh, movies where world building is popular. And I was like, it's the cream puffs versus the pizza cutters. <laughs> I mean, you could just just grab two nouns that come to your mind. I was just
0: on Coney Island. Those are both real gangs. Yes. Yes.
1: Cream puffs, come out and play. Come out and bake. (laughs) Um,
0: I did not love Gunpowder Milkshake, which is a shame because I was really looking forward to it. Um, I also saw Shadow in the Cloud, which is the... It came out, I think, last year. It's streaming now on Hulu. But it's... um, chloe grace moretz boards a fighter plane in world war ii she's in the gun turret it sounds very familiar and there's a gremlin outside
1: i think i read something about it
0: trying to take
1: something from her and it's a feature-length film
0: yes but it could be i think adam said it felt like a twilight zone well it is a twilight zone well right Terror <laughs> 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 right uh Uh, But also like an episode of Amazing Stories, it felt a lot like. um, I really used to like Amazing Stories. I I wish Amazing Stories would be repressed on DVD because I think it's out of
1: print. I can still remember when it came out on Laserdisc and that was a big deal. Including Family Dog, which uh, Brad Bird did. Right? Yeah. And
0: uh, Toby Hooper did the last episode of Amazing Stories. I did not know that. Weird Al Yankovic stars as like a cabbage-headed alien who insists on opening up a beauty pageant so that it includes people from across the galaxy. So all these aliens start competing in this beauty pageant.
1: This sounds like I have not seen every episode (laughs) of Amazing Stories. It was a
0: very last. It doesn't totally work, but uh, Weird
1: Al adopts a very obnoxious vocal affect. And for you Toby Hooper fans, we'll be talking a little bit about Toby at the end of this episode. Yes, we will.
0: Um, Shadow on the Cloud is entertaining It's a little too much like green screen And some questionable visual effects Because it was probably made very cheaply um, But it's like 85 minutes And you could do a lot worse This sounds
1: like something I will watch When I cannot sleep Yeah, that's a good time to watch it And it is not a movie And I am so late to the party It's not even funny But my wife and I finally watched Ted Lasso because I believe... We're in, like
0: three episodes in?
1: I believe in Patton Oswalt's endorsement. Okay. Well, first of all, you got to watch the whole thing. I know. But um, I'm very impressed by what they're trying. And I think what they're trying, and actually tried, because the first season's over, the second season's supposed to start in like a week. So I think it just started. That was one of the advantages of, of yeah. coming to it late. Yeah. Um, so few shows try to do what Ted Lasso is doing, and I give it a lot of credit for that that there's a sweetness and an attempt for the show to make its audience better people. And I think a lot of people would sneer at that and say, you know, fuck you. But (laughs) I think the show is aware of that. And I appreciate the fact that I don't know of a lot of sitcoms that are trying to do that.
0: Well, and it came out, correct me if I'm wrong, the first season came out during the last administration – Yes. Which was a time, because I was thinking back recently to you and I having a conversation on the show, I think, about Paddington 2. And we were saying that maybe one of the reasons that people were so rabidly infatuated with Paddington 2 was because of
1: the climate we were living in. Yes. And I can add a third film to this triumvirate of sweetness, the Mr. Rogers documentary. Sure. That everyone responded to because part of it was... There used to be people who acted like that. Right,
0: right. And they're all good things. I'm not saying that the only reason people responded was because of what we were going through at the time. Paddington 2 is a good movie. Ted Lasso is a good show. Um, but I wonder how much, you know, if that influenced people. We'll see. We'll see, you know. I think I guess.
1: Uh, something in my brain says July 23rd for – Lasso, and oh, I, I, believe, it started already, I believe I but... believe it's one episode a week, so you, okay. you can't. Well, we binged it, but you can't binge it because right. it's it's weekly. Which... more importantly, when
0: does the morning show come back?
1: Well, it's interesting that you bring <laughs> up the morning show because is it because I bought a series of Apple devices, I got a whole lot of Apple TV Plus for free like maybe two and a half years of (laughs) Apple TV Plus for free. Well, I finally got that email that they're going to start to charge me for it and almost anticipating me saying, well, that's the end of Apple TV Plus. The email was quite long and was full of promotional fluffery about what was coming. And I scrolled down the entire thing, and it's like there's nothing on this that I could possibly want to watch. No. I'm sorry, but there I never isn't.
0: even watched the Tom Hanks movie that was only available on Apple TV Plus. Uh, Greyhound? Uh,
1: Greyhound, Greyhound, yeah. yeah. I never even watched it. So this I'm actually surprised person. me because during COVID, a whole bunch of streaming services premiered, and as you know, Disney Plus has a lot of stuff on it to watch, and I'm still impressed by Peacock just how deep. The stuff on Peacock is. I watch Peacock a lot. Have you guys watched Girls Five Eva? Yes, it's funny, and um, because I'm not quite up on my Broadway scene, I watched the entire first episode, saying, "Is that Sarah Bareilles? Yeah. Is that Sarah yeah. Bareilles? Yeah. She looks like Sarah Bareilles." <laughs> um, I really liked it. I had one quibble. It's very much Tina Fey and Robert Carlock. It's the same pace. It's the same yeah. editing. It's yeah. the same joke style yep. as Thirty Rock and Kimmy, uh, Kimmy Schmidt. Schmidt. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not that that's a bad thing. No. And I thought making one of the girls, Paula Pell, <laughs> is just the gift that keeps on giving. It's such a funny joke. She 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 performs that part so graciously. But that is great. That we were not subscribed to Peacock.
0: So we watched the first three episodes. I just assumed they were all on there. You could watch them with ads, and then if you subscribed, you could watch them without ads. No. You can watch the first three, they give you a taste, and then the other ones are all behind a paywall. So you pay your five bucks for the month, you can watch the rest with ads, or you pay ten or fifteen dollars and you can watch them all
1: without ads. Okay, this is how crazy I became during COVID. Because I subscribe to Comcast, excuse me, Xfinity, Ah. which is owned by Universal, or I guess NBC, which owns everything, you get Peacock Plus. The Scheinhardt Wig Corporation. For free. Uh, Peacock Plus, the plus is pudding. But for that free version, you have to go through the cable box, and I don't like what the picture looks like (laughs) because Comcast got smart, and now you can access Netflix a bunch of streaming services through the cable box. But almost in a nudge to get you to watch their programming, the picture isn't as good. So on my Apple TV, I still pay the $5 (laughs) a month to stream Peacock because, are you listening, Ghost of Steve Jobs? The picture quality on the Apple TV is superb. Okay. And my wife just recently discovered the Apple TV, she has problems working the system. Sure. It's not her fault. No. I have it set up very complicated. She just discovered, oh, if if you turn on the Apple TV, it does all this automatically, and you don't have to type in the... It's already done, like this, the sign-in information, you just click on it. Right. Yeah, sweetie, at night, don't you see me hitting <laughs> one button? Well, no, she's busy when I'm doing that. So she really likes the convenience of the Apple TV because... Um, in June, we took a trip to California, and the TV in the hotel let you do Netflix. Okay. But there's no keyboard, and you have to type oh, in yeah. Yeah. your email address and yeah. your and your 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 secret word. And my secret word is crazy long and complicated. And I swear to God, like, she fell asleep while I was <laughs> almost there, honey. 16 digits and an exclamation point to go but we finally got it to work and the picture was crummy um, we we thought we found out the next day the hotel was sold out the hotel's never been sold out they sold out every room and we think a lot of people were accessing netflix Perhaps, so yeah. the signal degraded and then to add insult to injury we watched eurovision song contest which may not have been the best choice speaking of movies that are too long <sighs> comedies shouldn't
0: be over 2 hours
1: yes um, I remember reading a book once about a famous comedy filmmaker. I will not mention the person's name. And he said, uh, 86 minutes is the perfect length for a comedy. And this is Woody Allen? Yeah. <laughs> I figured. Um, that That was one of my favorite Ted Lasso jokes. He was responding to something he didn't want to respond to. And he said something like, this is a little bit like Woody Allen's uh, – What instrument does he play? Oh, yeah. He famously plays it at that pub. It's a
0: clarinet? Yeah.
1: Something? I don't know. Uh, Ted Lasso says, this is a little bit like Woody Allen's uh, clarinet playing. Not interested. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: That's it for what I've seen. Let's talk Haunted
1: Mansion. Okay. Here's the only reason you would ever want to watch The Haunted Mansion. When the film was made, there were all these tropes in movies, especially in family movies. Let's put quotation marks around families. Yeah. Although one of the more interesting things I found about Haunted Mansion was that it desperately wanted to be rated more extreme than it is. So it kept sort of Except for one
0: scene I don't know that I agree.
1: Well, what scene are you talking about? The one with the skeletons. Okay that I leads was, into
0: the spiders. I think that sequence kind of works.
1: I was thinking the scene massive spoiler alert. Oh yeah. Um, where the butler poisons her. okay. And that I thought was sort of, you know, we're actually seeing a murder. But um if you accept that except for the fact that they got Eddie Murphy to star in the movie, the film doesn't have a lot to say about our protagonists being black. No, which... Which might be the point, like the original Cosby show. The point is, they're... they're We're talking
0: about Woody Allen. Might as well bring up (laughs) Bill Cosby, too.
1: It's our canceled episode. (laughs) Um, That they are... They're um, comfortably upper middle class. Right. And um, there's, there's nothing... I liked that aspect of it. But clearly what the film skirts around is that the butler did not want master Gracie to marry Elizabeth because she was black. The film bends over backwards to like only imply that once and in the most general way possible. At one point, um, Ram's bladder or whatever his name is, (laughs) is, is sort of forced to admit that he was going to marry beneath his station or some other comfortable euphemism. But why, other than the fact that we got Eddie Murphy to sign the contract and cash his paycheck, um, why is the family black other than the fact that this this, uh, mysterious romantic woman was also black and so... The, the butler is trying to pass Eddie Murphy's wife off as her to break the curse. Clearly, that's skittering around. And I think as you watch the film, I have the weird feeling that in the original script that was a little bit more explicit and they toned, and they toned it down.
0: I I don't even think it occurred to me as I watched it. I don't even think I was like questioning why the butler didn't want him to marry Sarah or Elizabeth or And and the other
1: thing I kept thinking is, because the film is full of tropes from other better
0: films,
1: (laughs) well, this is from, this is the mummy. This is is the trope that they've stolen from the mummy, along with the bilious trope, and you've talked about this before on the podcast. Dad works too hard. Jesus Christ. And he doesn't pay enough attention to his family.
0: Every family movie that comes out, the trope (sighs) is, dad works too much and uh isn't paying enough attention to us and even that doesn't really pay off in this movie it's set up like he works too much and he doesn't pay enough attention to his family and he's the reason that they get caught up in the haunted mansion in the first place because he was greedy and had to go show the house or something
1: and he sort of apologizes to his kids at one point but And at the end, he says he really loves the wife because now he has a newfound appreciation for her because she was almost taken away. But this film has a checklist of early 2000s tropes that it desperately wants to, to check off. And a lot of it seems to me to be screenwriting 101. We establish at the beginning that the younger son is afraid of something, and so later in the film, he'll triumph. We even establish that Eddie Murphy has this fixation with his car, that it should not be touched, because that pays off later. Anything that happens in the first half hour of this movie is coming back later, because that's screenwriting. (laughs) That's how you make it a professional screenplay. And this comes
0: from a period – we can't even blame this movie on the success of Pirates of the Caribbean because that came out the same year. So this was Disney just pushing all their chips in on we're going to do a series of movies based on our theme park rides.
1: Talk about a dichotomy Absolutely. a movie that gets it right. I mean it's just – we've talked about this on the podcast. It's wonderful and it's delightful. But I even wondered um, Pirates of the Caribbean – makes the decision to be a period film right think about the haunted mansion as a ride why on earth do you immediately make the decision to make a contemporary because eddie murphy's contemporary i guess and if you really want to get a glimpse into what it's like to be a dope because i think the person who wrote the screenplay is a dope one of the main characters in the film is the haunted mansion the house itself is almost a character in the film. <laughs> so because you have a film that's centered on a house, our first decision is the protagonists <laughs> must be real estate agents who sell I mean it's how just it's moronic could we explain how he ends up at a house. <laughs> a thousand ways? Here, I'll give you an example. Are we in a house right now? Don't give it away. Are we in a house? We are in a house. How did we end up here? <laughs> and did it have anything to do with real estate agents? At uh, one point. Well.
0: At one point Well, that's it the did. flashback
1: <laughs> 10 years ago when you're shown this house, but not told all of the events that will transpire in it.
0: One of the things that I like about uh, – because Pirates was in my head the whole time I was watching this, and one of the things I liked about Pirates is that – Somebody sat down and said, okay, what's some of the stuff from the ride that we want to do little Easter eggs for? Not stop the movie and say, like, remember this from the ride, but just the dog with the keys, right? Yeah. I, what, there's not a lot of Haunted Mansion in this Haunted Mansion movie. I mean, there's Madame Leota. And what there is
1: comes across much more hit you over the head yes. than what you're talking about with Pirates. Yes. Because there's a scene when Eddie Murphy goes to the library where there's a bust on the desk and the, the the lighting is sort of dark and everything in the scene is dark and the bust is white and the first camera movement in the scene is the camera slowly tracks around the bust and it lasts forever. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, oh, that's the bust that follows you and that's what that shout-out is to. Uh, later, when he's in the hallway, we get the the stretchy door and the wallpaper pattern. Right. Which I discovered as I did a little research about the haunted mansion. Um, the haunted mansion actually owes some things to the movie, the haunting, uh, which had come out in 1961. The haunted mansion, of course, opens in 1960, 69 at Disneyland. And that whole hallway with the doors is from the haunting down to, uh, a particular wallpaper pattern that we fixate on and the door that seems to breathe. Um, That, until recently, I've never seen that acknowledged. And um, at the end of this podcast, for those of you falling asleep, (laughs) wake up, foolish mortals! Um, At the end of this podcast, we're going to suggest some haunted house movies that are really good. Better than The Haunted Mansion? Yes. The first time that Wallace Shawn... Has a line in this movie? Did it seem like he was channeling his character from Princess Bride? I mean, yes and no. The that's, line that's is a even, lot of Wallace Shawn performances. The line is even about a word, like right, right. Um, again, as I told you the other it's night, it's
0: the haunted mansion.
1: <laughs> um, I'm a ghost. I did like the actress who played the maid, and I Dana thought Waters? I thought she did a lot. With nothing. Okay. She's given nothing. Dina Waters. At one point, she's walking down a hallway, and one of the human characters enters the hallway, and she does this funny little scoot down the hallway to get away. And I thought, well, that's an interesting bit of physical action. The movie really made me appreciate Terrence Stamp, though, because though I've always been a fan of Terrence Stamp, Terrence Stamp is given nothing. Just nothing. And he turns it into something. Okay, I think when he's on screen, the movie is more entertaining than when he's not on screen.
0: I was very surprised watching the opening credits. This is now, I think, the third time I've seen The Haunted Mansion. Uh, Because I just watched it a couple months ago with the kids. Remembered none of it, by the way. I just watched it a few months ago. I remembered none of it. And then I saw it back when it originally came out. So this is like the third time I'd seen it. And still, I forget, until I'm watching the opening credits... The Rick Baker credit.
1: Right. And it seems as though... What did he do in this movie? I'm guessing that he might have had a hand in designing um, the the household staff's makeup. Right. And also um, all of those... Mummy, all those zombie skeletons that come out in the in the room with the water, where they have to get the key.
0: Which again has nothing to do with the ride, the Haunted Mansion. uh, But was a sequence that I appreciated because I was like, well, they're trying to be a little bit edgier here and make you know, and that's Disney's whole thing because I saw the preview for Jungle Cruise and it looks exactly like Pirates of the Caribbean. Just I don't know, add some skeletons. That's what we do with rides now.
1: I'm actually so looking forward to Jungle Cruise. I hope it's great. I'm hoping But it looks so much hope. like Pirates. I'm hoping beyond hope. Um, yeah, I was wondering about the Rick Baker credit, too. And it occurred to me, lately he's been very active on Instagram, just sort of posting little things he does for his own amusement because yeah. he's retired. Right. But in one of his posts, he went on and on about specifically why he retired. And the reason was because the movie studios would no longer let him do his job. Yeah. And he went into great detail about how everything he did was second-guessed. Every idea he put out, they were like, that's great. We'd like four more ideas because we know your first one won't be the best. And he wasn't able to do his job. And I wonder, even though it was a, a while back, because I think I know the big movie he's talking about when he says he wasn't allowed to do his job that um his his um his contribution was either diminished or later redone with some of the it's pretty creaky CGI that the film employs it's not really anything state of the art no uh, i mean i know that there
0: are filmmakers who would let rick baker be rick baker and would die to work with them dean Cundy works with a lot of like independent filmmakers now because he wants to work and so is it just do they not have the money to pay Rick Baker what he needs to do you know what I mean
1: well that makes me wonder because again um, I was lucky enough to be able to tour ADI and uh, Alec Gillis hosted us and it was very it was a very wonderful day and the one of the many ironies of that day was Gillis said he prefers low-budget films because they can't afford CGI, that's why right, they want right, to do right, physical effects, right. which would make Rick Baker a cheaper alternative right. than very expensive, right. full-on CGI. I don't know. Um, it's his um, his audio commentary on, on the King Kong, the recent King Kong Blu-ray, yeah. where he also gets into this thing okay. about being allowed to do his job and not being allowed to do his job. Um I thought it was odd that um, in the spirit of Terrence Stamp, I think Jennifer Tilly is giving her all. Sure. But again, she's given nothing interesting to say, and she also has to carry the bilious trope that she's the one that can crack wise. She's the contemporary one. So at one point, they question her, and she says, don't look at me. I just work here. And at that point, my wife and I looked at each other. And we exchanged a line that we exchange often from the Flintstones (laughs) when whatever creature is under the sink and comments, it's a living. (laughs) So that's the Haunted Mansion's It's a Living. I think because I love the ride so much, and I was doing some research into the twisted history of the ride, which I recommend. There's about 100 YouTube videos that go into crazy detail about and the that ride, Disney Plus show that's coming out, right? Which I'm really looking forward yeah. to because that Imagineers series that premiered when Disney Plus was brand new. Oh my god, it was it was just too much fun. Um one of the things I took away from that was a as the Haunted Mansion was developed, the storyline changed because the original Haunted Mansion was in uh Louisiana Square wherever pirates is it in California the original storyline was going to revolve around the sea captain, this ghost of a sea captain. Of course, that got changed, and it got changed, and it got changed, it got changed. So people who say, oh, this is canon, this is canon for the Haunted Mansion, might be wrong, because a lot of the stuff of the Haunted Mansion was sort of made up by tourists, made up by fans of the ride. It wasn't intended. I'll give you an example. Uh, Master Gracie's wife, Elizabeth... In the original ride, um, one of the tombs outside in the ride queue, there was a little piece of metal poking up out of the concrete. It was an accident. It just And it was round. And people started to say, that's her wedding ring. Oh, geez. So they made it, that's her wedding ring. <laughs> and then later, when they replaced the pavement, they deliberately stuck a wedding uh, ring. okay. And so right. I think that's really cool when the yeah, fans yeah. sort of come up with stuff. And then the bride... Constance Hatchaway, who really wasn't in the ride until like 2006. So that's not canon either. Anything that fans made up and like traded, oh, you know what that's supposed to be, that's supposed to be this, and it connects to this, that later becomes sort of the story of the ride, I really appreciate.
0: Was this movie doomed once it became... A star vehicle for Eddie Murphy because it's trying to do two separate things.
1: Well, and this was not a particularly good time for Eddie Murphy because this is his paycheck period. Here's a question, because Eddie Murphy has made a lot of quote unquote family films. Yes. Name a good one. Well, I'm running through my mind and I actually saw Dr. Doolittle in a theater and that movie is just it's just
0: crazy bad and it's one of the most successful because otherwise we're talking about
1: imagine that and and daddy daycare which jeff garland is in and that's just
0: generic um, what's the, it's not nonsense. a million little pieces uh, um, uh, i don't remember what it's called um, the leaves falling off the tree Pluto nash Pluto Nash um, i mean is nutty professor does nutty professor count that's a pg thirteen movie but
1: is that a family film. Well, again, because I'm actually a fan of the Jerry Lewis original As for a number of reasons. I. It's what that movie's doing some crazy things. Even if <laughs> even if you don't subscribe to the obvious. Oh, he's doing Dean Martin. Do you see what he's doing? Right. Again, I will quote Danny Perry. I know this podcast has some listeners who are big fans of Danny Perry. You know who I'm talking to right now. Um, Danny Perry, in his essay on the Nutty Professor in cult movies, gives the greatest theory of the Nutty Professor I've ever heard. No, 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 says Danny. That's not Dean Martin. That's the Jerry to come. Right. Jerry Lewis is predicting his future as the unctuous host (laughs) of that telethon every year. The greasy guy who's convinced... All you want to do is listen to him sing. What's that thing he yells before he plays the piano? Steve Dahl used to use it as a drop in his in his uh-huh. radio show. Like, quiet silence or something like that. I'm, I know I'm getting it wrong. Um,
0: I showed the kids uh, the ladies' man
1: on my birthday. Yeah. And Charlie's response was, this guy's weird. <laughs> and Charlie, this will give you some... Insight into history, this guy used to be really popular yeah. with boys your age. Yeah. that his, Kids love Jerry. Yeah. Um, so. Eddie Murphy. Needless to say. the comedies. The, 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 the Nutty Professor is just so it's awful. It's a bunch of fat jokes. In, I mean... in so many ways. And I appreciate... I appreciate both uh, Rick Baker's makeup and the technical expertise to give us that dining room scene where uh, everyone in the family is talking to each other. Right. Um, I still think the mother who, no matter what, loves her kids and is calling the little boy Hercules because he's making a muzzle, I think that's sweet. And it's nice to see Janet Jackson in something. But, um, yeah, you can just name. She's in the second one, right? I don't Uh, think she's in the first one. Oh, she's not the lead in the first one? I thought Jada Pinkett was Uh, the lead in the first
0: one. You're right. My bad. And I'm I'm not a big Nutty Professor fan. I haven't seen it in 20 years, 25 years. Um, Not a big fan, but we could at least make the case it gives Eddie Murphy lots of room to be Eddie Murphy, and this is why we go see Eddie Murphy. He gets to play all these characters. He gets to do all this funny stuff.
1: Haunted Mansion insists on him never being funny. That's... One of my problems with these Eddie Murphy movies That it's almost like Because of the enormity of what they paid him He has to be the whole show Right Last night I was thinking In essence The Haunted Mansion has eight people in it Plus Leota It's easy to count because it's four couples Okay Now think of Pirates of the Caribbean Yeah Or think of virtually any other movie ever made is is it because we gave him so much money? I, I don't know. the 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 focus is so specific. The cast is so small. There aren't a whole lot of um, people to play off. But here's my other question, because I can't keep things straight in my head because I'm addlepated. The Haunted Mansion came out in two thousand and three. Three. What year is Bowfinger? Ninety nine. Okay. So only four years separates those films, but it's a long four years because if you really want to see how to use Eddie Murphy in a movie, even playing more than one part, Bowfinger is the the model. Not only is he amazing in Bowfinger, which I think is the great undiscovered comedy of the nineties. Now that people are starting to, to um, people are starting to get quick change. That's <laughs> slowly rising. Um, Bowfinger is so fantastic in so many different ways, but look at the cast of Bowfinger. There's a whole bunch of people in that movie that he has to bounce off of in lots of different ways. Right. Um, And Bowfinger features Terrence Stamp as the unctuous head of Mindhead. Mindhead. The, let's call it a religion, that uh, one of the Eddie Murphy characters subscribes to. Um, I've said it before, though maybe never on the podcast. Um, My wife and I are such fans of Bowfinger. uh, It's infinitely superior to The Haunted Mansion. Hmm. And I don't think a week goes by where we don't quote Eddie Murphy, who channels the spirit of John F. Kennedy. (laughs) Because the character in the movie is visited by the spirit of John F. Kennedy telling him, that the Laker girls need to be taken down a peg or two. And that screenplays by Steve Martin. And of course we have higher expectations than whoever wrote the Haunted Mansion script. But if you really want to get some insight into what it's like to be crazy, just batshit crazy, John F. Kennedy is telling me to take the Laker girls down a peg or two. Again, why JFK? Why the Laker girls? That specific phrase, to be taken down a peg or two, it is, it is comedy gold.
0: <laughs> it's just so frustrating that he makes these, these family comedies because every time that he insists on doing it over and over again, because then every time he breaks out of that and makes a movie for ostensibly adults – He'll do a performance in Dreamgirls, and I don't love Dreamgirls, but he's terrific in it. Yeah. And then he makes four or five family comedies, uh, and they all suck, and then he makes Dolomite Is My Name. Yeah. And then he'll go back and do four or five shitty family comedies, and he'll come back and something will be like, oh, right, this is why we love Eddie Murphy. It's... Very strange. So, Haunted Mansion is part of that shitty family comedy thing, and it's directed by a guy who was most famous for doing animation. He was one of the directors of The Lion King.
1: Oh, Rob Minkoff. So this was this was his thank you, right, for The Lion King. And I'm sure anyone and anyone who's interested in pop culture or movies or I don't know anyone who's interested in a whole bunch of things would regard this as a plum assignment because, my God, it's the haunted mansion. He made the two Stuart Little movies, of which I'm not a fan because I of, haven't seen them. Because when I was a child, that book meant a lot to me, and the the movie. Suffice it to say, the movies are not the book. Okay, that that it uh, it was Hollywood eyes. Um, another quibble I had as I watched. Both in California and Florida, the Haunted Mansion are two of the most recognizable structures in the world. Like Cinderella's Castle, they've been photographed millions of times. And I think if you were to show the average person a picture of either of them, they would identify them. Now, clearly, because the film is using special effects and matte paintings and all sorts of other Jim Crackery, (laughs) why... Didn't they use one of the fucking real mansions as the exterior? I I mean, I don't know.
0: That's what I'm saying. Is there's not enough haunted mansion in this haunted mansion movie? Right.
1: I given how much we're outside. Right. And I mean, pick one: Florida or California. The tourists could have enjoyed having it cordoned off for a couple days because we're making a major motion picture. That would be something starring Terrence Stamp that would actually maybe um, soothe the, the 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 injury of not being able to go on the ride for right. a couple of days because right. they were filming around it. But why on earth you wouldn't? I mean, this is different than Pirates of the Caribbean. Why you wouldn't use The Haunted Mansion has me scratching my head. It, oh, because we're going in a different direction. Then why are you making a movie called The Haunted Mansion based on my favorite theme park ride? Yeah. Um, they don't even
0: use that much of the music. At one point, we get the three singing heads and they're doing Grim Grinning Ghosts. And then, almost as soon as we recognize that that's what it is, it becomes this joke
1: that they turn everything into barbershop harmony. Yeah, it turns into a different song. It's like, which, no, which is a joke. Play the hits, assholes. At one point, um, you hear that familiar theme that your daughter can actually play on the piano and yeah. she plays it for me all the time, which I love. Um, we get a little shout-out to the Hitchhiking Ghosts when they're in that coach that they make an appearance, and um, that would be um, Phineas, Ezra, and Gus, for those of you keeping score. And one of them, the old man prisoner, gets a line that's not funny. No, there's nothing funny. It falls flat. There's a a pause as if we're setting up a joke, you know, the pause joke, and he says, I guess he's psychic. It's a living (laughs) from the
0: people who brought you the Flintstones. Um, So do we recommend better haunted house movies?
1: Yes. um, I have a list here, which um, I actually didn't have to look anything up on the Internet because I love haunted house movies. And there really aren't a lot of great ones. Okay. Okay. In fact, were you to Google this, I'm guessing, like I said, I didn't look it up, that the same movies would come up again and again and again in multiple lists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, mine are in alphabetical order. Okay. I didn't rank them. Okay. Because it's a haunted house. It's good. The filmmakers knew what they were doing. There's a compelling story. There's some really scary shit. I don't know if it's just me, because I live in a house, but... How did you get there, though? A realtor. Eddie Murphy sold me the house. He said it would take 20 minutes tops. He works too much. Another bilious trope of the film. Um, That I noticed as I was putting my list together that most of these haunted house movies contain scenes of extended unease. Okay. The slow burn the suspenseful build-up, the dread that I really, really like, that that seems to be part and parcel with Haunted House movies. And I still remember uh, reading about Haunted House movies in Stephen King's amazing book, Dance Macabre, where he talks about, and he should because he wrote one of the great Haunted House novels of all time, that Haunted House movies uh, contend that horrible actions leave a psychic stain that cannot be erased. And uh, in the book, he goes on and on about uh, Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House. And I think I'm quoting this correctly, but I might I might have the movie and the book wrong. Um, at one point, a child is asked about one of her playmates, and the child responds, she's awful. <laughs> Which gets to the heart of what we like about these movies. My first Haunted House movie is the original Silent, the Cat, and the Canary, Okay, which I love. I love, love, love. I once did the Broadway play version as a high school play and got the highest compliment of my 34-year career. Another staff member saw it and the next day told me, it was like a real play. That's the highest compliment I received in 34 years. Also, I would, I would suggest the remake, not the sound remake. That's a lost film. That's a film called The Cat Creeps, and it no longer exists in any form. I think there's like 10 seconds that they trot out in documentaries. But Bob Hope remade it in the late 30s with Paulette Goddard. And it's called The Cat and the Canary. And the Bob Hope version is really good, too, albeit very different. I know it's on Blu-ray. I've never seen it. It's well worth your time. It's a lot of fun. In fact, that movie made so much money that Bob Hope and Paulette Goddard made at least one more. And I Oh, Ghost Breakers, um, which was made because Cat and the Canary made so much money that they sort of became a team for a short period of time. But uh, And either version of Cat in the Canary, you can't go wrong. It's really great. All right, what else you got? A film you might be familiar with if you watch Joe Bob's The Last Drive-In or if you're a George C. Scott fan, The Mm -hmm. Changeling, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which I had never seen. It had slipped under my radar for the longest time, even though Stephen King talks about it in Dance Macabre as one of his favorites. And it's just really scary and shows us that, George C. Scott had good taste in the I mean if you're going to make one horror movie that should be the one. Um he also made The Exorcist 3 and Firestarter. Okay, so 2 out of 3. I like Firestarter. I know you do. <laughs> um I would he argue plays that a Native American I would argue that George C. Scott's performance in Firestarter is one of the most bad-shit crazy oh, yeah. things in the history of film. Um I understand why you like it. I can't remember what boutique video company finally put the changeling out on Blu-ray. It was recently. Yes. Severin. But there was a special uh, added value package where they would send you a replica of the rubber ball that plays very heavily in the film, and I thought that was a nice touch. Um, Guillermo del Toro, has announced on more than one occasion that he would love to make a Haunted Mansion movie, a good Haunted Mansion movie. I shudder that the Eddie Murphy version sort of kept that from being a reality because we just did the Haunted Mansion. Would you like to do the magic flying carpets of Aladdin? (laughs) That's a ride we don't... Oh, wait, we do have a movie for that. It's called Aladdin. How about the Tiki Room? Guillermo del Toro's Enchanted Tiki Room. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Things go bad real fast. <laughs> um, Guillermo del Toro's uh, entry in the haunted house sweepstakes is Crimson Peak, which we've talked about before on the podcast. And, and it's slowly people are starting to come around on. Way too slowly. Crimson yeah. Peak is just, it's so good it in is every so good. way. Yeah. There's never a misstep. I don't know. I might argue that it was mis... Uh, Marketed? Yes. That it was marketed as A, and it's not A. It's something else. I can't quite remember what they were selling it as, but they weren't selling it as a gothic romance, right. which is...
0: right. Ooh, creepy. Something's
1: haunted. <laughs> um, then, of course, we get the movie The Haunting, yeah. which is based on Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House. And recently Netflix did a... Um, an episodic TV series called The Haunting of Hill House which I still haven't watched. Sort of uh, it's uh, terrific. It's That's really what I hear. it's really really good. Yeah. And that was so popular that they turned The Turn of the Screw into a sort of unofficial sequel which is called The Haunting of Bly Manor, which is clearly based on is an expansion of Turn of the Screw. But there's another movie based on Turn of the Screw, which is The Innocence with Deborah Kerr, that's really, really good. Yeah. And has this song in it called Willow Whaley, that once you hear it, it's really scary, and you can't get it out of your head. And then, when you're creeped out by The Innocents, then it's time to watch... William Castle's House on Haunted Hill, yeah, which is just fun. Yeah, Um, We could argue that it goes on a little bit long, but I'd rather have it than not. Um, It's worth seeing, if only for the acid relationship between Vincent Price and his wife. (laughs) They hate each other. They hate, hate, hate each other. It's a William Castle movie. Which shows up in The Tingler and a bunch of other movies as well. Um, And then in the 30s, James Whale makes The Old Dark House which is based on a Broadway play called The Benighted, and I think between The Cat and the Canary and The Old Dark House, we get all the tropes of haunted house entertainment because another thing I hated about the Eddie Murphy Haunted Mansion is there are two big ways to get people to the house. The reading of the will and I'm sorry, the bridge is out. You'll have to spend the night. Yeah, And why, if the movie is contemporary, we have to rely on these almost 100-year-old tropes? I don't know, but there's the Haunted Mansion with, oh, there's a storm, you'll have to stay. <sighs> uh, the Old Dark House has a storm, but the Old Dark House also has Boris Karloff mm-hmm. as a psychotic butler, and there's someone up in one of the attic rooms who's who might not be right in the head (laughs) um the old dark house is so much fun james whale is so ahead of his time because at the time he was making the old dark house these weren't time tested old dusty tropes they were new tropes and there's james whale making fun of them i mean clearly um you have never lived until you've heard ernest Thessinger say have a potato and that's why you need to see the old dark house and finally Uh, Toby Hooper made a film called Poltergeist. You don't say. That's so scary that our friend Doug um, is still frightened (laughs) by the clown. Yeah. Because I once came upon the clown quite by accident um, at the Planet Hollywood in Vegas and promptly sent him a picture that said, here's the clown from Poltergeist. He's going to be at your house tonight. And Doug was not happy (laughs) that I had sent that text. Um, I would add
0: The Others.
1: Now this is a point where I get confused. Okay. The, the Nicole Kidman film. Correct. Okay. I always confuse that with The Other, which is a horror film from the 70s that no one has seen except me. Okay. Even though at the time there was The Exorcist, The Omen, and The Other. Ooh. The Other was a literary sensation, just like the Exorcist and Rosemary's Baby. It was a very big success as a book, but somehow the film has dropped off the radar. It involves twins and badness okay it's terrific, okay. I don't think I've seen the Nicole Kidman film the others it's good that is what i've said that is what I've read It's a good haunted house movie um I would
0: include James Wan's Ins- I tried to pick some newer ones because I knew you were going to yes. go with classics. James I'm old. James Wan's Insidious, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is a fun haunted house movie and a, a, a rightful heir to Poltergeist, unlike the Poltergeist remake, yeah, which no one remembers exists. Um, Howzoo?
1: Yes. Uh, if you're in the right frame of mind. If you're in the right frame of mind, sure. The first time I saw it, I I wasn't it was, was that a, at the massacre, it was very it was, like, late three in the at morning. The massacre, and I just and that might be the perfect time. This to is see it. too much like my dreams. It's either anyway. the worst or best time to see that movie. But then later, when the Criterion disc came out, yeah. um, I gave it a second chance, and it's it's batshit crazy in all the right ways. How about uh,
0: today's Criterion announcements? By the way.
1: I'm so happy and excited. Every single one of them. It's yeah. like how could they possibly Incredible shrinking man that's make us happier? Although pretty amazing. Instantly someone on the Twitter machine had to sort of give them a backhanded insult <laughs> Hooray for Incredible Shrinking Man. But every month when the announcement comes out and the Frederick March, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde isn't on it, I shed a tear. Okay, well we can be happy. For the movies we are getting, which are great, um, including the uh, the Humphrey Bogart movie. Which, which I've always, never seen, yeah. Which I always thought was sort of an underappreciated Bogart. Um, he's clearly playing Dillinger in that movie. Okay. And Ida Lupino's in it. Yeah. And th- if Ida Lupino's in it, you should see it. <laughs> if Ida Lupino directed it, you should see it. Yeah. Her, her Columbo episode is superior. She just... She improves everything. And then, of course, The Shining, which I didn't see for the longest time. I think I think 20 years. Because when The Shining came out, I went to see it with some friends. This is the day it opened. And then the next night, I went back with another group of friends and sat in the front row at the Randhurst Theater. And at various points, I turned myself around and watched the audience, specifically during a scene with scat man <laughs> and it was one of the greatest movie making moments you know that famous picture of everyone wearing the 3d glasses yeah it's even right. the the bumper on our website yeah um imagine 500 people making the same face oh my gosh all lit up it was terrific and um and then rusty showed it as the last film it was the last film of one of the massacres and I went back as I often do and I hadn't seen it in a dog's age and it just man that movie does so many things right Yeah. and I, I know Stephen King wrote the book and he's famously uh, talked against the Stanley Kubrick film but maybe both maybe both men have a point because that book was the first book that ever scared me yeah. the first time I read a book and I was like I don't feel like going to bed tonight. I'm gonna have a bad dream. And and interestingly enough, it was for something that's specifically literary that Kubrick knew he couldn't do in the movie and never even tried right, to do right, 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 right. the topiary. Right. But um I think I was eleven or twelve and oh those topiary hedges, that mm, I didn't like that at all. Um, Because we have bushes around our house
0: I would also include The Legend of Hell House I like that movie The one with Roddy McDowell and Pamela
1: Franklin Yeah, Ty West's The Innkeepers Which I had a feeling you would include on your list In fact, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop I don't know if I'm going to get it right The Uh, Innkeepers and I don't know Oh, um, I was thinking that you would add um, I believe it's called We Are Still Here
0: Oh yeah, We Are Still Here Rules yeah, yeah, I know you awesome. like that movie. Um, and uh, I really like the William Malone remake of House on Haunted Hill
1: from 99. Which I've never seen. Oh, it's really good. As a staunch William Castle film, I know the remake of House on Haunted Hill and not William Castle, the remake of House of Wax,
0: have yes. their fans. Yes.
1: But because the originals are so... Oh, the remake of House on Haunted Hill is the one with um, Casanova Frankenstein in it. Correct. Jeffrey Rush. Who gives a great performance. And he plays the Vincent Price role. Correct. And Chris Catan is in it. Correct. I've read about it. I've never seen it. Um, it's loads of fun. The original Mystery Men, not that there was ever <laughs> coming to Blu-ray, a, a sequel by the way. or re- reboot. Um, it's coming to 4K. Oh, wow. Which I've been enjoying. Nice. Uh, But that's it. That's our show, everyone. So watch the movies at the end. Do not watch the Eddie Murphy Haunted Mansion unless you're insatiably curious. And don't forget...